Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, once again we come before you asking you to be here with us in this place this morning, trusting that you are here with us. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please sit. It was six men of Hindostan to learning much inclined who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind, that each by observation might satisfy his mind. The first approached the elephant and happening to fall against his broad and sturdy side, at once began to bawl, Bless me, it seems the elephant is very like a wall. The second, feeling his tusk, cried, Ho, what have we here, so very round and smooth and sharp? To me, tis mighty clear, this wonder of an elephant is very like a spear. The third approached the animal, and happening to take the squirming trunk within his hands, then boldly up and spake, I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a snake. The fourth stretched out his eager hand and felt about the knee. What most this might beast is like is mighty plain, quoth he, tis clear enough the elephant is very like a tree. The fifth, who chanced to touch the ear, said, even the blindest man can tell what this resembles most. Deny the fact who can. This marvel of an elephant is very like a fan. The sixth, no sooner had begun about the beast to grope than seizing on the swinging tail that fell within his scope. I see, cried he, the elephant is very like a rope. And so these men of Hindostan disputed loud and long each with his own opinion, each exceeding stiff and strong, though each was partly in the right, and each was partly wrong. That poem, entitled The Blind Men and the Elephant, was published by John Godfrey Sachs in 1872, and is a retelling of an old Indian parable. A bunch of blind men each feel a different part of an elephant and assume that the elephant is like the part that they've felt. The the one who feels the trunk thinks that an elephant is like a snake. The one who feels the tail thinks an elephant is like a rope, and so on. And as a parable, it has a moral, which is a pretty simple one. Be careful about assuming you know anything for sure, especially about something large and complex. It's much more likely that your assumptions are very compromised, if not completely wrong. This is a very postmodern story, right? Each blind man of Hindostan makes the error of extrapolating what is true for them onto the whole. What I'm experiencing, they think, is like a fan or a snake or a wall. So that must be the extent of what's going on here. Although I was reflecting on this, and in some ways, even now, even this is a very quaint story. We're now post-postmodern, or whatever we're calling ourselves these days. In this poem, there actually is an elephant, right? Truth exists. 
and all six blind men are wrong about what the elephant is like. An updated version of this poem for 2020 would need to figure out a way for each blind man to be completely justified in their description of the elephant. Because today, what is true for any individual must be accepted for them by everyone else. The other blind men would have to agree that an elephant was whatever each of the other men decided, no matter what their own exploring hands told them. What's true for the individual must be accepted by everyone. That's what we're dealing with today. But we're not doing cultural criticism here, or even literary criticism. This is a church service, and this is a sermon. Ah, but John Godfrey Sachs is preaching. There's another stanza, an official moral by the poet. Here it is. So, oft in theologic wars... The disputants, I ween, rail on in utter ignorance of what each other mean and prate about an elephant not one of them has seen. So there you have it. For John Godfrey Sachs, this is not a cute story about recognizing the limitations of your perceptions. No, this is a sermon, a polemic against the presumption of a single religious truth. The elephant is God, and how dare you assume to know anything about such an entity, when at best, all you've got hold of is the tail or the tusk? How do you know that Islam or Buddhism or Mormonism or Wicca or secular humanism isn't just holding on to another part of the elephant? Who are you to say? Who are you to say? Well, that didn't used to be a question we had to answer. For a short time, God says was enough. Until one day in a garden, the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? Do you hear the serpent's deception? He doesn't make some wild, obviously false claim. He uses God's words and just tweaks them a little bit. Of course, God didn't say that she couldn't eat from any tree in the garden, just the one. But this sounds sort of like something God might have said. And Eve begins down a road of doubt. Did God say was the question And all of a sudden, God says, wasn't enough of an answer. In the same way, the blind man and the elephant sounds like something that's true. God is big. He is mysterious. He is impossible to wrap your mind around, much less your arms. It seems reasonable that any one religion might only understand a part of the whole. In fact, the Bible itself seems at times to agree with the poem. In at least two different places, it explicitly says that no one has ever seen God. We are like the blind men. But there is an important distinction to be made here. Unlike the elephant in the poem which passively sits there and lets the blind men misinterpret it, 
the God we worship, the actual God, creator, almighty creator of the universe, is not silent. God has spoken. God says. He spoke to Adam and Eve. And then Moses and Elijah and throughout the Old Testament. And then to Jesus and Saul who became Paul. And in the hearing of many in the New Testament, he spoke in audible words. And he speaks to us in the Holy Bible. It's as if the elephant in the poem felt all the hands on him and said, Stop! Listen! Let me tell you what I am like. St. Paul wrote that all scripture is God-breathed. And the Bible is not just some old book with nothing relevant to say to us now. Hebrews tells us clearly that God's word, the Holy Scriptures, is alive and active, at work on us even now. God has spoken. God says. When the serpent says to Eve, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? Eve had an answer for him. What she says is, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. So Eve has heard the word of the Lord. She knows that God has spoken, that God speaks. And now, As we said, the serpent has introduced doubt. Did God say? And Eve's trust in God is already faltering. She adds a commandment that she is not allowed to touch the fruit of the tree to what God has actually said. But the core truth remains. God has spoken into the world. Eve is confronted with a problem and she tries To go back to what God said. Our God speaks. Let there be light, right? And then he speaks to the man and woman about how they should live. Eat of any tree in the garden except this one. If you eat of it, you will die. Eve and then Adam, after and with her, take it upon themselves to add to, change, and ultimately disobey what God has said. But the fact of the matter remains. God has spoken. God says. Many years later, Jesus also invokes God's speech, God's word, when he is tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Tempted by loaves of bread in his hunger, Jesus invokes God's word. One does not live by bread alone, but by every Word that comes from the mouth of God. Tempted to see how much God the Father really loves him, Jesus invokes God's word. Again, it is written, do not put your, the Lord your God to the test. Tempted to usurp lordship over the earth for himself. If he will only worship the devil, Jesus invokes God's word. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve Only him. Jesus, as sinless God, inhabiting human flesh, fully God and fully man, is able to do here what Adam and Eve were not. 
In the face of temptation, he submits himself to the word of God. He'll do this again in the Garden of Gethsemane, hours away from a torture and death that loom ominously over him. Not my will, he says, but yours be done. Though we have feet of clay like Adam and Eve and often fall prey to the temptations of this world and the devil, we know what Adam and Eve knew. God has spoken. God says. We know the proper posture to the word of God is one of submission. Did God say is a question that will come up again and again for us in our lives. Especially as the word of God stands further and further apart from a world that refuses to acknowledge it. Indeed, the modern answer to the serpent's question, did God say, is who cares? We care. Once you accept that there is a God... It makes absolutely no sense not to care what he says. If God exists, he is worth everything to listen to. So if you run into somebody who acts like they don't care what God says, it means that underneath it all, they don't actually believe in God. We believe in God and we care deeply what he says. Now, we acknowledge that as sinful people, God's word is something that we tend to rebel against, tend to run away from. What's that line from the classic hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing? We say, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's us. But it's not because we don't care. It's because we are broken. We are just like Adam and Eve. We are their descendants. We are sinners because of them, yes, but we are also sinners like them. And this leads to a simple equation with a profound answer. The equation is simple. We should submit ourselves to the word of God like Jesus did in the wilderness. When a temptation comes... We ask ourselves, what did God say and submit ourselves to it? We should not doubt the word of God like Adam and Eve did in the garden. Actually, the parallel is even better than that. It's two gardens, ultimately, isn't it? Satan comes to Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, just like he did to Eve in the garden of Eden. Did God say? Eve doubts while Jesus stands firm. Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus turns temptation aside by invoking the word of God. And here is the profound answer to our simple equation. The good news for us sinners. That Jesus doesn't just invoke the word of God. He is himself the word of God. At the end of her telling of the story of Jonah in the Jesus Storybook Bible, Sally Lloyd-Jones writes, 
Many years later, God was going to send another messenger with the same wonderful message. Like Jonah, he would spend three days in utter darkness. But this messenger would be God's own son. He would be called the Word because he himself would be God's message. God's message translated into our own language. Everything God wanted to say to the world in a person. John says something similar to this in the prologue to his gospel. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, not anything that was made was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of only the son from the father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, John admits. The only God, though, who is at the Father's side has made him known. Jesus is God's word spoken to us. Jesus is God's word spoken for us. No one has ever seen God, but God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ, his son, our savior. Our God is not some mute elephant allowing us to misinterpret him. You want to know what God is like? He has spoken in the Bible, in his son. Our God speaks. Let there be light. In the beginning, how we should live in the middle. Let there be salvation in the end. Where Adam and Eve sinned and doubted the word of God, Jesus Christ was faithful and submitted to it. Submission even, says St. Paul, unto death and a death on the cross. Because Christ was faithful to God's word, and because Christ was God's word, your sin is atoned for. Your feet of clay are redeemed, and you are now a child, not of human brokenness, but of adoption into Christ's family. You are his brother, his sister, a member of the family of righteousness and of eternal life. Amen.